This is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Star Trek, the original series. We're going to start with episode one, and we should be finished (laughs) in about three weeks. (laughs) So we're just going to leave this mic live for three weeks. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, That is a lot of power. (laughs) That's a lot Star Trek of watching. Yeah. So we picked three episodes to talk about today in of the, the original series. We're going to talk about Enemy Within, Balance of Terror, and City on the Edge of Forever, which all three happen to be season one episodes. That surprised us after we picked them to learn uh, or to remember that they were all in season one. And back in when they would do a season, and the season had like 29 episodes in it. <laughs> I was surprised to see that. I was like, wow. So these these aired uh, from 1966 in September all the way through 1967, April. And um, yeah, you know, it, it's fun when you, when you look at TV that's made today, you know, I mean, we've got a lot of TV that's being online today, but um, the stuff that's made for the network's is shorter, right? You know, they do about yeah. 40 minutes of 40 minutes an hour right. or so. And these are like 51 minutes. And then um, also, you know, how many they do in a season, you know, uh, 29 is uh, pretty amazing. I think it's what, 22 or 23. Yeah. And of course, now I've gotten used to six or 10 British style, right? which right. we always laughed at. Yeah. <laughs> We laughed at, but I've grown to really love that format. It's like, you know, a a season in, let's say, 10 episodes is kind of neat. You know, it's uh, often they'll they'll do an arc for the season and Mm. or even greater than that. Um, You know, like Broadchurch, when we watch Broadchurch, that's something that I really liked. Miniseries, I guess. Yeah. Stephen King miniseries. (laughs) And I think this is... Of course, they weren't really doing on TV shows that I can think of overarching themes mm-hmm. back then, right. like they do now. I mean, there would be threads that would go through, but it wasn't like, and this big thing is happening in the background. And I do enjoy when that happens, but sometimes it will mistakenly be allowed to take over what I enjoy. For example, Person of Interest, I we all loved it. Hmm. And it was episodic and all this. And there was an overarching theme of where did the machine come from and what was the history of this strange guy running it and all this. But that was just now and then. And by the sec- third or fourth season, that was all there was. And it turned into this weird whole apocalyptic kind of feel. And we just quit watching. Mm. You know, they forgot what they were doing originally that worked so well. Mm. Yeah. And these gotcha. haven't done that. Right, right. Yeah, these haven't. Um, yeah, yeah, we can talk about what Star Trek is today, <laughs> but because uh, that's the, kind of the way it is now. Although I've stopped watching it, so yeah, I don't know what it is today. I haven't tried any of the new ones, and um, from what I've heard from different friends of mine who are real fans, I don't know that I need it. You know, as we're very slowly working our way through, as and I might have mentioned this here before, I can't remember. Is once a week we watch in order episodes because Rose had never seen any of it 
So when she came back home, we started with the original series. And now we're, I think, half to two thirds of the way through season six of The Next Generation. And I cannot wait to get to um, (laughs) Deep Space Nine. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah, I love those shows. I I haven't watched most of Voyager, um, not because I dislike it or anything. Me it's either. just I just never happened. Mm-hmm. And then um, I did like Enterprise. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked it more than it probably deserves, um, <laughs> but I, I do like it. And then after that, um, you know, I tried to like Discovery. I was I was just so annoyed at how they changed everything. Uh. They, they they made no attempt whatsoever to fit into the history. Um, you know, it, it was like more of a reboot than a, you know, it's like, you know, all the right. Star Trek that you've seen, just throw it in the garbage because now this, you know, and I, I didn't want that. So, uh-huh. and the other thing, I think if I was going to point at one thing that's different in the sensibility of the Star Trek that I've seen that they're making right now versus what it was is... Um, there was such an optimism about humanity in Star Trek. Yeah. And, and optimism, it was almost like, look where we can, as humanity, get. This is going to be just amazing. You know, it was like a future that you kind of wanted to be in, you know? Right. That's how I felt. And um, science fiction today is full of dystopias and... Um, you know, high drama and uh, um, destruction, and um, that's what it is now. Um, it, it's just, it doesn't feel like a place I want to be at all. It just feels dystopian. Well, and you bring up an interesting point because I'm thinking, you know, now a lot of the emphasis is on showing how flawed everyone is, mm-hmm. and but you know. They did that in the original series, which we'll be talking about in these episodes some. They certainly showed people as flawed, Um, especially Captain Kirk. He would struggle with his flaws, but it was never allowed to be the overriding concern. And it was something that everybody kind of understood and might point out if he needed it. But that's just part of who he was. They didn't let that be – they didn't let it sublimate the optimism and the good and – the higher striving that everyone does despite things that go wrong or flaws. And that's, you're right. That's a real difference. It's like that quote from interstellar where he says, we used to look and dream about the stars. Now we look down at the dirt and think mm. about our, how our place is in the dirt. Um, that's a bad paraphrase. Cause yeah, I don't no, have it in front that, of me, but that's it's a that, perfect thing. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. how I feel about it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I watched all three of these episodes in one evening. I wasn't sure I could fit them in, but I powered <laughs> through. And um, it was energizing. Mm. By the time Great. I got to the end, I was just like, yeah, this is a, a muscular TV show. It's got energy. It's on the move. It's they're doing things. They're striving for right. And it's got characters that you enjoy. I mean, in... Enemy within, no, sorry, in Balance of Terror, when when somebody's got to leave and go run the phasers and uh, jumping ahead, and Kirk mm-hmm. says, Uhura, you do navigation. She's like, sure. She just leaves. <laughs> and I she was like, on it. Yeah. I didn't realize that, man. And she's mm-hmm. just sitting there, super cool and efficient, and also channeling the uh, communications through her thing because no one's there to do communications <laughs> during this big emergency. And I'm like, 
you go girl. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, um, but without making a big deal out of it, like, yeah, cause ladies could do this too. I think that that was part of Robin Broddenberry's vision is no, we're not making a big deal out of it. We're past this stuff. Right. And we're forward and look at what we could accomplish, you know? Right. And I know that, um, you know, we're going to talk about uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Harlan Ellison wrote that episode. And that was one of Harlan Ellison's complaints to, to about Roddenberry is Roddenberry wanted to be past these issues. And he didn't want the stories to be about these things. Right. He right. wanted them to be this team against whatever rather than the team bickering or the team dysfunctional dealing with those things. You know what I mean? He, he was like, let's as yeah. a society, we've moved forward and we don't have these uh, very specific petty things. Um, we're past that. We did. We, we made it past that. You know, it's not that the humans aren't human. They're very human. Especially mm-hmm. Dr. McCoy. Dr. McCoy is extra oh. human, right? So he's, he's but, so wrong in balance of terror. I'm just ex- gonna say. <laughs> exactly. But anyway. Yeah. So, um, but uh, it, it's just that way, you know. And, and he's portraying a society that is worth striving for, and I find that super inspirational. And the the Star Trek that's being done today, I, I don't find it inspirational. Yeah, and maybe it's that optimism that you're talking about where it's yeah we've lost anything like that we're just seem to be a bunch of victims pointing fingers at each other i think that's what a lot of written science fiction is right now too Mm -hmm. Um, it's just very dystopian very dark very serious um and and not, not too enjoyable in my yeah, opinion. and I think that's one of the things, and I don't think I put my finger on it when we were talking about it, but the Murderbot series, you know, the future is a good place. There are bad things in it. There are yeah, those planets yeah. where people are kind of like slaves, and I don't think we got into that in what we were talking about. But it's that whole idea that, but here's this place that's really good, and there's other places like it. They're all striving to make things better and make Murderbot's life better and all this stuff. So, mm-hmm. um Yeah. Yeah. But it's rare. It's rare to find it. So Yeah, you bet. So uh, let's talk about the, the episode one. We're going to do them in the order that they were aired. So yeah. the ep- Enemy Within was the first episode that was aired. It was aired October 6th, 1966. It's episode five. And it was written by um, the, the writers that are listed are Richard Matheson and Gene Roddenberry. I was so excited when I saw that Richard Matheson co-wrote this. I was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, this was a real writer. <laughs> That's something that I, I I wonder. Maybe this is being done, and I don't know it. But it, you know, if I wanted to do a science fiction series, it would be really cool to hire some of the best science fiction writers there are to be part of the writing team. Yeah, you and know? you'll see those names on the Star Trek episode. Sometimes right. I'll be yeah. look, just, we'll just be watching something from the first ep- series, and I'll just go, "Oh my gosh, that, <laughs> that's a person. That's somebody who was known. He might have yeah. won a Hugo, for all I know." Right, for sure. Yeah, Richard Matheson is well known. Well, yeah. and I chose this one, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize at the time that when I was reading the notes and Richard Matheson, and he was inspired by Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and I'm like, "Oh well, yeah, duh, I didn't catch that, <laughs> but." Um, so the, the basic premise, um, and anybody listening to this, you're just going to have to go watch these, uh, now, 
I mean, we could say the basic premise, but we yeah, got to talk I, about I them in order. I don't think we should worry about spoilers nope, at all. So that's, yeah, it's it's happening. So anyway, basically, there's there's a terrible transporter accident, and uh, Captain Kirk is split into two people: one who's all his good person, <laughs> one who's all his his evil, or do they call it evil? They uh, baser yeah. qualities. I, I'm going to say evil. Yeah, yeah. Spock at one time used the, that word. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so what I thought was interesting when we were just thinking about what struck us as memorable episodes to discuss, and I was thinking this podcast, because I have many favorites, which we can talk about at the end, some of our other favorites, just to list them. But um, was that when I first watched this, I was a kid. And I really accepted their premise that evil is strong and decisive and, you know, clearly disordered Mm -hmm. and clearly Mm -hmm. selfish and clearly out of control. But good is weak and passive and indecisive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they didn't show good as having really many very good qualities, except Captain Kirk could walk around at the end looking very saintly as he tries to take the evil back into him because he needs these other qualities. And I was like, yeah, that, that seems right to me. Why not? <laughs> and now thinking of it as an adult watching it, when we were going through it with a family, I was like, oh, talk about the easy way out. <laughs> um, it was a Jekyll and Hyde thing because that's kind of what happens in the book too. Not in such detail right in front of us, but I thought, well, they're not looking at good the right way or mm. evil the right way. And so I yeah. thought that was kind of an interesting thing that we could maybe talk about. Yeah, it, it is a super interesting thing, you know, because, you know, I wouldn't really call it good and evil, right? Mm-hmm. To, to me, you know, when I was watching it, um, to me, you know, in my, my current sensibility, you know, what makes sense to me is it's almost like um, your your animal or your body versus your soul, kind of. You know, so it, it's like a body that has passions and desires that may not be intellectual, right? And then a soul that is thinking and um, has, you know, desires of its own, but they're, they're not bodily desires. And that's kind of how I saw it in this latest rewatch. And we are body and soul together, Right, that's the way human beings are. We're, we're both those things, uh-huh. right? And um, you know the the conjunction of those things, and we've talked about this before. Only those two things together are us, right? We're right. we're not separate from that, and to separate them wouldn't wouldn't work. So that was my stretching of huh. how to make sense of it. Well, I hadn't I hadn't considered. That's sort of an explanation, and I and I realize, like you're saying, you're just kind of thinking through it now, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's not hitting me, but because I think if you're really just talking about body, then what you're talking about is you've taken the humanity out of a person, because mm-hmm. like you say, body and soul together. Yeah. And so what you're taking away is some of the higher functions. And I'm like, well, then you would be more purely an animal. And animals aren't necessarily, you know, uh, grasping and evil and all these things that Captain Kirk is. There's an element of badness in that. The way he attacks Janice Rand mm-hmm. was shocking to me. Hmm. I was re-watching this going, you know, that stuff was taken and portrayed more casually in those times. And I was looking at it now going, wow. 
Plus, I know that she, the actress herself, I think had been a victim of rape. Mm. So this had to be hard for her to portray. But um, they were showing a real act of uncaring violence to get exactly what you want. And you're right, that's a more, we would describe that maybe as a more bestial mm-hmm, act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think there's people, I think the soul can be engaged in that too, if it's completely disordered. I looked at it, and, and I, I do see what you're saying. It's the higher versus the lower thinking, because the bad Kirk can't, let's say good and bad maybe, the bad Kirk can't really grasp what the good Kirk is trying to get across and going, we have to be one person. We can't be split up. And that's very true. We are not body and soul. We are not whatever. But I just kept thinking, this is taking all the, uh, the effect of will, uh, like the, um, and see all these things are going to be imperfect because they weren't thinking about it that deep, mm-hmm. but yeah. The using your will to decide what's good and evil. He never decided anything. He just raced in, like <laughs> passions flaring, and went, oh, you're pretty. I'll do what I want. Oh, this will cover up my scars. Oh, I, I'm Captain Kirk. This is my ship. I'm the captain. <laughs> he only understood the base passions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he wasn't exercising his will for good at all. He was exercising his will for power or whatever. So it was just, he was completely disordered yeah, um, and yeah. incomplete as they say, because the other Kirk is exercising his will for good, but he's not exercising any will power or something hmm. like he's not making himself get out there and do it. And that's the thing they were saying is you need this side because you need the determination and drive and decision-making and uh, but this side is what drives the higher level of it, and kind of curbs the other stuff. Right, so, it's like yeah, yeah, it can't stop thinking about consequences and right. You know, trying to come up with what is the best thing to do is impossible because at some point you're always having a negative effect on somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. And, right, and at some point you have to, you know, fish or cut bait, as they say. Right, so, right. Well, and so. I was also thinking, though, that because what I was thinking is my view of good is so much more nuanced now, of course, Mm -hmm. and this was a TV show, I get it. But I was thinking they find it hard to imagine a decisive, effective person who is completely good. And I was thinking, oh, this is where the example of the saints Mm. is so useful to us. Mm -hmm. We have saints like St. Ignatius, who was a soldier and then turned that that vibrant uh, quality that he had that wanted to strive and fight for good into a whole missionary society that was striving and fighting for good in a completely different way, but using those skills that were going to war before to battle their way through hard environments or different situations. Um, And so I was just thinking of, you have the intellectual saints, Aquinas and all this stuff, but then you have the ones that are, I just heard about, um, gosh, what was he called? Black Moses or sometimes Moses, the Ethiopian or Moses, I think it's the brave or the strong. And I heard father Mike Schmitz talking about this on an old podcast homily mm-hmm. and he was basically saying this guy was a pirate it was way back in the day and a marauder and he goes and he marauds a monastery he comes out of the monastery and something's happened to him in there and he's become christian <laughs> so he joins the monastery as a monk more marauders attack sometime and he basically spearheads the attempt to fight them off 
and he winds up capturing four of them and he beats them up. And then he takes them to the abbot and he says, so now this is what's happened. And I beat them up and they're really sorry. And we don't kill them. Is that right? <laughs> and the <laughs> abbot's like, that's right, my son, do not kill them. <laughs> well, those four wound up becoming monks also. <clears throat> oh, cool. And when he died, he died holding the breach against other marauders. I don't know where they were. I'm going to have to look this guy up more. Holding Mm -hmm. the breach against other marauders so everybody else in the monastery could get away. Now that's somebody Mm -hmm. who doubtless struggled with many flaws, (laughs) but look at the qualities that he was exercising for good. And he's a saint. Yeah. You know, so that's the, that's the kind of, uh, thing I was thinking about when I was watching it. And of course, that's the idea that when you turn the other cheek, that's not being weak, it's being strong, because you're restraining yourself. Mm -hmm. And so um, they're kind of looking at they they call it good and bad or good and evil, but it's obviously more complex than that. And it it was interesting episode because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Mm. watching William Shatner stretch (laughs) his acting chops. I mean, the lighting was creepy. He could do that upward look with that insane Uh double look on his face. I'm like, he must be having so much fun right now. Um, But he did, I thought a really good job in both roles over the top, but still effective. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, he's, he's always been over the top for me. Oh yeah, you know, um, but yeah, Hollywood I, would have loved this guy yeah. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. Um, it's it's fun stuff, and and I love that you you know talking about you saw it as a kid, and I did too. Um, I remember, you know, when we were talking about um, Mister Rogers, you mm-hmm. know, I, I I I think I said in there, I said I think Star Trek was my Mister Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, if I think about what I watched most as a kid and what probably influenced mm-hmm. me the most, I, I think it was probably Star Trek, you know, the original series. Um, that was, yeah. you know, and it's not a bad thing to be influenced by, I don't think. Not at all. Yeah. Because they struggled. You know, it's funny. It's unfair of Harlan Ellison to say they're not dealing with these issues because they were dealing with issues. How do you exercise self-restraint? What is the kind of person who's going to attack a helpless woman? Yeah. And um, what is it? What does it say about how they deal with it later? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. And all of these are talking about things like that, as we'll right. see. But it's Agreed. just yep. at the service of an exciting story. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Jesus was telling parables, he wasn't going to no, know. Let me explain. He saved that for the apostles. But the story was interesting. People could get into it. It was stuff they knew. The Samar- right. Good Samaritan and all that. Yeah. Um, his were more preachy because mm-hmm. he was being, he was preaching. <laughs> but this was talking about all the, like you say, it's optimism, all the things we strive for. I also liked that um, Spock, and that since this was so early, Spock was showing a little more emotion than you would see later sometimes. But he was um, being a good friend to Captain Kirk, the good Captain Kirk. He was sticking with him. He was not afraid to point out his flaws. Like, oh, Captain, you're doing it again. You're drifting yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, you I, I kind of like that. You know, here it is. We're on episode five. And and that Kirk-Spock-McCoy dynamic was excellent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you you felt like these guys had known each other for a very long time. And, yeah. uh, and uh, liked each other genuinely. And, you know, like when... Um, 
you know, and, and having watched all the Star Trek, I know I have all that in my head, but it's like, you know, when uh, the evil Kurt goes in and, and demands the brandy from McCoy and McCoy gives it to him and then Kurt goes to his quarters and then Spock shows up. <laughs> I mean, it was so perfectly done. He was like, yeah, McCoy just called me and said, what the hell, you know? So are you, are you feeling okay, Captain? Because um, <laughs> you're not acting normal. Yeah, he said you just went to... Actually, it was the good Kirk that was in his quarters. That's right. Right. And so he was talking to the good Kirk and, um, you know, showed up. You know, I, I just... I can just totally imagine the conversation that McCoy had with him. You know, called him up on the bridge and said, hey, you're not going to believe this, but... Our buddy Kirk just did this, and it's weird. So, uh, and the yeah. way he did it, you know, yelled yeah. at me, and you mm-hmm. know, just not his usual self. Right, right, right. And these are concerned friends. I forgot that McCoy's the one who says, "Hey, <laughs> something's not right here." Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I just love that dynamic. That that's that's Star Trek to me is, uh, you know, much about not all about, but much about those three. And mm-hmm. that uh, dynamic between the three of them. Oh, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Works perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, how about Balance of Terror? Ooh. <laughs> it's all good Kirk on this one. Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess he's yeah. complete Kirk. Mr. Yeah, l- lots of decisiveness. Um, definitely good stuff. So, yeah, in this one, um, I-, I picked this one, and I really like... First of all, the just the story, the cat and mouse story of it, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed, and I thought they did really well. This um, you know battle of wills between two captains on ships, you know, and uh, that aspect of it, I really enjoyed. Yeah, and, partway into it, I suddenly went, "Oh, this is like a submarine movie." Yeah, and then definitely. When I was looking it up, they said it actually kind of people keep referencing this one movie that I haven't seen, but it's it two captains da, who can boot? respect each other. <laughs> oh, God. I can't no, remember please. which one it no, is. No, it's the enemy below or the enemy oh, beneath or something okay, like that. Okay. It's a world war two one. So I went and read the summary of the movie and yeah, it's basically that these two captains spend all their time trying to outwit each other. One's in a ship mm-hmm. and one's in a submarine. The Germans are in the submarine and, um, but they come to respect each other. Yeah. Through seeing how they, you know, respond to the maneuvers and everything. Right, right. So that that respect between the two and then uh, a touch of the absurdity of it, um, this carrying of past conflict forward because something happened in the past that nobody was really involved with and it was like, you know, you're seeing both the Romulans and the Federation questioning, you know, what are we doing here exactly? You know, why why are we fighting? And But yet there's this fear between the two that, well, we can't let them uh, encroach because if we do that, there will be a bigger thing that will happen. You know, so all these worries and, and um, they're just – guessing what the other's motives are, right? Um, right. And, and I just thought that that was a fascinating thing because it's something that happens in humanity all the time where, you know, d- just these these past resentments can't be let go. Um, it, it's like, you know, this is our duty to, to be at war with this other group when, you know, if they'd sit and talk about it, you know, maybe this wouldn't be necessary. Um and, right, and just mm. following the orders of the high command because the Romulan 
captain, you feel like he might not have, he maybe didn't think it was a good thing to destroy all these listening post colonies. And Captain Kirk is being told, no matter what, do not do anything that will provoke anyone. And of Mm. course that's, he's like, but you know, Mm -hmm. this is happening. Yeah. I'm out here and you aren't. And, um, and that's also reflected so interestingly in this one character who we never see again, who's the navigator for this show. And he, he, it comes from a military history Mm. where he's lost family members in the actual war that happened a hundred years ago or whenever it was. So in that sense, it's almost like the South will rise again. (laughs) You know, some of that, (laughs) I think that things that you might encounter like that, where people are holding onto this stuff that this is ancient history. This is done and gone, but you're using it to carry forward other prejudices. And the Mm. minute that you see, a similarity between the Romulan and Mr. Spock, he starts to transfer all his prejudices against Mr. Spock. That's right. Which he's seen no evidence before of anything like this. Yeah. Right. And that, that is unfortunately something that humans do too, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that we, we have a history of that, um, you know, this, this instant fear and um, suspicion. Right. um, Based on looks. Right. So it's like, you know, well, you look like him. So therefore, all of our history together, where we've been together on this crew, however long that might have been with Mr. Styles, mm-hmm. disappears because now I have this family history and you apparently are related to these bad guys somehow. And um, now I just can't trust you one bit, you know. So, yeah. And I'm thinking it's kind of interesting because at one point he's he's doing some bigoted conversation or making an accusation or something. And Captain Kirk turns around and goes, listen, you can feel however you want back in your, in your room mm-hmm. out here. We don't go for that. <laughs> so you could just drop it right now. I don't want to hear it anymore. And I thought that's interesting that he, he doesn't say you better change how you think and change all your attitudes. Mm-hmm. He just says, keep it to yourself. I'm not interested out here, this is how we act. And um, it's so much better than like today with the thought police, you have to let people come into contact with things themselves and hopefully think it through because it makes me think of Colin Powell who just died Hmm. and um, who, you know, I respected so much in an interview I was just reading where he was saying that in the armed forces, that was kind of what, got rid of prejudice between people. They didn't allow it. They didn't have room for it or time for it. And mm. so he could be in the South, stationed in the South. And when he was in the town, he would experience the prejudice, but never in the armed forces hmm. because they just didn't stand for that kind of thing. They didn't have time for it. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And it was a real tribute. I thought mm-hmm. it kind of went along with hillbilly elegy, hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in that when he, when he joins the Marines, yeah. He's like, they taught me how to live and all this stuff. He wasn't worried about prejudice, but it was the great equalizer. Hmm. Here's how you live together in a society, and here's how you function. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. You know, and this and that, is kind of, yeah, that attitude's kind of shown here a right, little. That we need more of that attitude, I think. Yeah. Um, and you're right, you know, when you, we talk about thought police, you know, thou shalt think this way. <laughs> that doesn't help, you know, it's... Um, it's it you need people to arrive at that right you need they, they yeah. need to arrive at that c- 
correctness themselves. You know, bigotry, we don't want bigotry. But you can't just say, don't be bigoted, and we demand it. Um, it the, there's a, a process, you know, the person needs to change. And that's yeah. not changing anybody, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just love that. And then, you know, um, and I do love that too. Like, you know, well, we'll hear on this bridge, we don't have time for that. And you're not going to be talking about that here. I, I like that attitude. That's, that's seems healthy. Yeah. And, and, and to I hear like that what... that's like the military, that they do that in the military. That's, that's refreshing. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, how else are you going to meld all those really different people from really different yeah, backgrounds so together many. into yeah. a fighting force? Yeah. You've right. got to, you've got to look for the higher ideal. Which is what Star Trek go. is about, you know. Right. I mean, that, that's what's what it is. That's what this, you know. It, it's not that everybody thinks the same, you know. Clearly. Well, and it was really interesting that there was this whole mystery. Nobody had ever seen the Romulans. Mm-hmm. They weren't positive that's who was attacking. It seemed likely, right? But they were going to investigate first, and then they see what the Romulan looks like, and it's like, wow. Yeah. You look like a Vulcan. And mm. later, Mr. Spock says, you know what? We had this really uh, violent, intensive colonization period. It goes much worse than anything on Earth. And so this could be an offshoot that mm. just developed on its own that we've forgotten about from so long ago. Yeah. And yeah. he goes, and if they maintained all the way we felt then, which was very emotional, they're very martial. Yes, I agree with Mr. Styles. We better go get them right now. Yeah. And I thought, so here's the logical approach mm-hmm. as opposed to the prejudiced approach. Both come to the same conclusion and kind of for the same reason, mm-hmm. but a very different process. And one is much easier to understand and justify. You know, you can base actions on it. Right. Versus, we better get them because they'll kill everyone. Excellent. And then um, the other thing is this, the little frame that they had in this story, you know, with the wedding yes. at the beginning and then, um, the loss of, uh, the husband, mm-hmm. uh, during the battle. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just, that just creates this reality. I mean, it, um, the consequences of having to do something or, you know, your decisions having these consequences. And, um, I thought it was pretty yeah. powerful. It was very powerful. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, this and- isn't to be taken lightly, right? Exactly. Well, and if you, I noticed that, you know, they have this little chapel. And I think when I was reading about the show, they said they had written in a, a priest or a, some minister. Mm. And Gene Roddenberry went, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, he, he wasn't having any of that. Mm-hmm. But she still knelt down to pray for a minute before the ceremony was going to start. And when Kirk finds her, the bride, at the end, she's kneeling and praying. Yeah. And that's the only time I can remember something that looks like Christian faith being expressed. And she doesn't yeah. say she's Christian, but that's what anyone at the time in the 1960s would have assumed. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think that um, you'll see some in Deep Space Nine. Um, there's a lot of, oh, reli- yeah, because lot of, of religion the in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because even though I was an agnostic at the time I watched it, I just remember being really intrigued by the fact that this was allowed to be a part of who the people were. And it was expressed as something that was a concern. You didn't see that much. Right. And that is an but, interesting aspect yeah. as to, to, you know, to what they're doing in Star Trek um, pretty much all over is this, 
until Deep Space Nine, there's no real clear religious, you know, so, sometimes they meet a, a group or somebody that has some religious belief or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they meet a god. Yeah. <laughs> what does God so, need with a starship? It's always Which a powerful the, alien. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's Gene Roddenberry's go-to. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, in this, I wanted to mention this quote from McCoy because it really is nice. You know, uh, in this galaxy, there's a mathematical yes. probability of three million Earth-type planets. And in all the universe, three million million galaxies like this one. And in all of that, and perhaps more, only one of each of us. You know, that's yes. that's fantastic. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, yeah. And he says, because he says, um, you know, don't let anything happen to the one that's James Kirk. Right. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, and that comes back to it's the intentionality um, and and the kind of the underlying thing is each one of us matters mm-hmm. and each one of us I would I will extend that each one of us is made on purpose mm. yeah. it's with it's with God's intention to put us where we are and also his complete love and who he's made us to be and James Kirk is made to be James Kirk. Of course he is because he's written into the show that way, but it's that, yeah. Mm-hmm. McCoy's appreciation of him. Yeah. Well, and also the, um, we haven't talked about this, but this is a core um, context of the film or movie or, uh, TV show <laughs> is that these two commanders understand each other. Mm. They're both excellent at tactics. They're trying to outwit each other. But especially the Romulan really respects Captain Kirk for being one step ahead a lot of the time or knowing how he'll think. Yeah. He's a sorcerer, that one. He's inside yeah. my head. Yep. In another reality, mm-hmm. we could have been friends or right, I could have called right. you friend. Yeah. And that's the, also the tragedy of war. It is a tragedy of war. You know, you just think, man, you know, well, why didn't we just get together and have a beer <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever? You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's just tragic. Which is the whole Cold War thing. This was written, the Cold War was going on. And, of Mm -hmm. course, now we're looking at a lot of that again still Mm -hmm. with Russia and China and various other countries. And it's it's that reality of all these good people are Mm -hmm. in these different societies serving the the needs of those societies as they're given to them. Yeah, no question. And, and, you know, I I talk about the – um, you know, these, these held resentments, you know, from the past and things like that. But at the same time, um, the Romulans come across the neutral zone and they start blowing up your outposts. Oh yeah. Well, you, you need to respond to that. And, and so the story is also about, or it makes me think about the, the needs of society and how unfortunately we still have to be ready. And, um, you know, this is a very, very important thing. You know, when you talk about, you know, China and Russia and it's like, we, we, we just, we have to, we have to do this. This is part of what we need to do to survive. And, um, it's unfortunate, but it's just factual. Well, and it's also, I guess, an extension of that idea of just war and the idea of like, this is just defense. Mm -hmm. You have to be prepared to defend your citizens, the innocent, um, you know, yeah. that's part of being Christian too. I mean, you're the one who's going to stand up and say, no, you're not going to bully that person. You're not going to like in the balance of terror or in, sorry, enemy within 
You're not going to let an innocent woman or, you know, a defenseless woman be attacked. You're not going to do all these things. Well, this is an extension to your country of that. Right. They have a right to peace and to exist as best they can, too. Yeah. Still very tragic. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah, yeah, very much. But good stuff. Yeah. That's why we don't get heaven on earth. We do the best we can to make our situation better, <laughs> but heaven's only in one place, and it's yeah. not here. That's right. That's right. Yep. Indeed. Okay. Right. Well, on to the city on the edge of forever, which was uh, almost the end of season one. So this is like episode 28, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's way. <laughs> so yeah, this is written by Harlan Ellison. And um, this is, you know, it's an atypical episode, but I just love it. It's just just fantastic. So um, the the Enterprise is orbiting a planet and they're experiencing all these little time bumps, I guess. (laughs) And they, uh, uh, during these bumps, uh, McCoy accidentally injects himself with a drug that he had just used to help, uh, Sulu and which drives him a little crazy. And then he, he goes to the transporter (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, beams down to the planet after giving the karate chop, the old karate chop to the transporter operator. That just makes me laugh every time I see it. <laughs> the <laughs> insane are very strong and good at karate. <laughs> Done. That's right. And um, so uh, Kirk and Spock and a few others beam down after McCoy to find him. And what they find down there is the guardian on the edge of forever. or The guardian of forever, that is. Yes. Um, which is this sort of a ancient machine that uh, lets you travel through time and, um, you know, kind of a portal, I guess. And as they're talking to this thing or, or investigating it or um, just trying to figure out what it is, McCoy jumps through it, jumps through the, it's like a donut, right? <laughs> jumps through the hole mm-hmm. and yeah. goes to the past. And, uh, and suddenly the Enterprise is gone. Everything's gone because the past has been changed Everything except for the planet that they're on, this field around the Guardian of Forever, which is why everybody there didn't disappear, I guess. Oh, thank you. I was wondering that the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) That's my explanation. I I like it. It's good. Let's move on. Fine. Perfect. Yeah. So now Kirk and McCoy have to figure out how to go get, or I'm sorry, Kirk and Spock have to figure out how to go get McCoy. So, you know, tricorder, get the tricorder out watch the time go by and jump through at the exact right moment so that they go back to where they were. And then um, now we get to see Kirk and Spock on uh, in New York City um, in the at Depression times. And 1930. 1930, yep. And uh, um, it's just really cool. So <laughs> he's got the ears to worry about, you know, the police officer <laughs> – you know, so he gets himself a hat, and uh, it, it must. It, I wonder if that was enjoyable for uh, him not to have to wear the ears for a while. Yeah. you know, he could <laughs> yeah. just wear the hat. So they're <clears throat> they're in in the city, and they they get to meet Edith Keeler, and um, who is running the young Joan Collins? Yeah, young Joan Collins. That's right, and she's uh, uh, running a soup kitchen there, and and uh, Kirk and Spock start to get to know her and then uh finally run into McCoy after yeah. weeks weeks of living there 
and yeah. uh, uh, with Spock making his <laughs> electronics <laughs> with the tubes and all this stuff. That was fun. I couldn't believe he could do that. That mm-hmm. was great. That was if really anyone good. could do it, Mr. Yeah, Spock. Yeah, that's right. Could oh, he it. totally could. We know he could yeah. do it. Well, he, we did it. We <laughs> saw him. It's fact. You bet. Even though it burned out while they were using it. Well, uh, you know, they had old circuits back then. They just weren't very strong. Absolutely. Yeah. I forgot how funny this episode was. And oh, it's yeah. not relentlessly funny, but it's used to good effect. So when... Um, Spock is going, oh, there's no way I could, you know, make a machine that would see what was going on. And Kirk's like, oh, well, sometimes I overestimate your abilities. And he's looking at him. And then, oh, well, all right. And Kirk, and Spock's like, oh, fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was funny. And, um, of course, the thing explaining Spock's ears. He says, well, obviously he's Chinese. And I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I didn't even think about oh. the way the eyes are done and everything. Yeah. And he goes, and then he's like... Perhaps the unfortunate accident I had as a child with the machinery. Oh, yes, his head was caught in a mechanical rice picker. Luckily, a talented missionary was here. I I forgot Uh, that that's just a gem of a moment. Oh, it's too fun. Too fun. It was great improvising. It was. It was. Yeah, and it's a a powerful episode, too, you know? Oh, yeah. That's Um, mostly powerful. Yeah. And Kirk, uh, yeah, falls in love with Edith Keeler. Falls hard for Edith Keeler, right? Right. <laughs> she likes him, yeah, too. She does. Right. And I liked hearing her say, and someday we'll go into space. And well, she it'll was be interesting because mm-hmm. she was one of these visionaries who, you know, didn't, she wasn't one of the people who was going to do the mechanics of it. But she just had the big vision. We could do these things. Yeah. And of course, they're amazed because they're coming from a future where that's all happened. And in 1930, no one, no adults were thinking of that as something that was real. That might have been in a pulp magazine or something. Yeah. Mm. But she also just kind of had an inner intuitive sense because when Spock is saying something to Kirk and she says, Captain, and they look at her and she goes, even when he doesn't say it, it's there. You're his captain, yeah. You know, yeah. So she's she just picks up all this stuff, and so it was an interesting thing that caused her to have some depth and explained why she was the focal point that mm. was going to change everything. Does she live or does she die? And it's kind of it's really the lady or the tiger mm. again. Yeah, yeah, right. Yep. Very very good story, and yeah, just the uh, you know the decision that Kirk makes. That's that's rough. Yeah. I don't know. He's he's saving the timeline as it was, right? You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But saving. he loves her. She's a person, and and this person has to be sacrificed because that's what happened originally. Uh huh. You yeah. know, they can't figure a way around it. Yeah. She'll promote peace so much that the U.S. won't get the war enough, and you know, the Nazis will take over the world. And yeah. isn't that an interesting viewpoint? You know, it, yeah. it ties into the previous two, really. The previous two episodes a little it, bit. It does. It's when you were talking. Yeah. yeah, during Balance of Terror, I was thinking, yeah, when do you fight and protect and mm. when do you not? Right. So, yeah, this this idea that, you know, if peace had been, well, you know, it took us a long time to get into World War II, right? You know, so if, if, we, had Already, delayed, yeah. if we had delayed too much longer, that could have been really, really terrible. 
Um, yeah. It could have been very bad. Um, and uh, it's interesting to think about that. It's, you know, sometimes we have to step up. And that is, yeah. like we said, that's the tragedy of it. Yeah. But it's it's a duty. Well, yeah, and nobody questions it at all <laughs> until he falls in love with Edith Keeler, and now it's personal. Right, right. And what are the sacrifices that each of us make under those kind of circumstances? We're not having to choose a timeline, mm-hmm. but um, you can't save everyone, her versus the millions of people, or what the future would be, mm-hmm. which would be a planet full of suffering. Yeah. Um, those are... Those are things that have to be thought about. Those are the things that everybody was facing every time they sent a loved one off to war and what was left of the people at home who didn't have a breadwinner anymore. And I mean, all the things mm-hmm. they encapsulated that somehow in that one wow. yeah. storyline of that this really was is. the depression. People were really suffering as it was. Yeah. That really is um, an amazing thing to connect that to like a military service. You know, everybody yeah. who has made the decision to go join the military in this effort, you know, mm-hmm. they're making the same sacrifice or potentially, yeah. potentially so. Right. Agreeing to it if it happened, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah. Well, and it's like you're saying, it's that idea that peace is a great idea, but not right now. Right. This is like they said, the right idea, the wrong time. Mm. Yep. It's You've got to defend what's going on um and it's that so this is that whole what if of history and i don't really i don't mind this this is good they're returning it to what it should be but i know there are books called what if and you know what if this had happened what if that had happened and i don't really care uh-huh. i guess that's wrong of me you know like no, what if it hadn't really rained <laughs> when the mongols came to it and attacked vienna or whatever or yeah. something like that you it, know it, it is amazing to look at you know history and just see how major things came out of such minor things like like what you're saying you know if it hadn't rained on this day this battle would have turned out differently and if that had happened how different things would have been it is mm-hmm. amazing to think about how just such on a razor's edge that is mm-hmm. or in on the flip side you know a surprise friendship between leaders can change everything um you know you've got leaders at odds and suddenly for some reason they um, respect each other right. and decide, okay, we're, we're not going to fight. Um, that's amazing stuff throughout history, you know. But yeah, and then there are a lot of alternate history um, stories about how things could have been different had this or that happened. Um, one of the things, you know, science fiction keeps doing these timeline things. And I'm not a big fan of that stuff mm-hmm. because... I don't think that that's the way that our world works. You know, people talk about multiple universes and stuff. Right. I don't think that there's another universe with another me in it. There <laughs> right. could be no, another I... universe, right? I'm not yeah, denying that. Why not? Why not, right? But um, there's not going to be another me in the universe who made the decision not to do this podcast this morning. Yeah. And therefore, some something changed or whatever. Um, McCoy told us that in the balance of terror. Yeah. There's just one you. Exactly. And that's, that's what I believe, you know, I, so I, I don't like the, um, well, like the Abrams verse, you know, the Star Treks, I thought those were fun movies, but I never Mm -hmm. returned to those. Mm -hmm. I I watched the other ones 
I, mm-hmm. I pull those uh, Rathacon. I got to watch that. Oh, well, that Every one. now and then uh-huh. I have to watch it, right? Yeah. But I don't feel that way about those other ones. I do. I did enjoy them, but they're not part of the thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, there's really only one timeline, even though, you know, they, they may have made mistakes or, you know, discontinuities during their storytelling. Yeah. But, um, again, you know, that really annoyed me about Discovery was that they just said, oh, this is worthless. We're just going to start over. Here's some Klingons. We're going to redesign those. And now we've lost Worf and, you know, wh- whatever in the future is, you know, it's gone because he can't There's be that no way Klingons? anymore. There's Klingons, but they changed him completely. They They – Completely redesigned what a Klingon is. And no, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> there may be other universes, but I know there's a Star Trek universe, and I know how it works, and they could just yeah. leave it alone. Yeah, and that's only one of the things, you know. I heard then, about the ending. Uh, my the other friend one is, Kim, who yeah. loves this uh, oh, yeah. series, told Kim, me about yeah. that, and I was like, well, yeah. as a Catholic, I'm deeply troubled by this whole thing, but we don't need to go into that. That's um, for sure, yeah. And then well, they gave they gave Spock a sister, um, no, nope, sort of nope. a well, not not like a full sister, like an oh. adopted sister that was yeah. never mentioned everywhere, anywhere, yeah. you know. And um, as interested as they were in Vulcans, I feel like that would have gotten mentioned. Somehow. I think feel like it too, you know. And it's like so. when they they gave him a brother in Star Trek Five, which was the worst Star Trek movie <laughs> ever made. I never saw that. And one, it I was guess. really you never saw it. Which one was it? What was it called? He had a brother. It was called The Final Frontier, I think. Oh, was that one where they went to try to get out of the galaxy and it turns out it was run by a god who was an energy alien? What does God need with a starship? Okay, I must have seen it, but Mm -hmm. all I remember is thinking... Oh, Gene Roddenberry. I've seen this plot 20 <laughs> times. And that's yeah. I, I didn't care. Right. And so I forgot all the other stuff about it. That's the one that Shatner directed. I don't care about that either. <laughs> but no, it was it was pretty bad. Um, yeah. But that, that's one of the things that was, you know, here's a, a brother that's never been mentioned. And I was just like, what? Nope. Yeah. Yeah, but that famous line, you know, what does God need with a starship? But you're right. There's lots of godlike creatures in uh, the Star Trek universe. Q. Q is one. Q is fun. Yeah. I give Q an exception. <laughs> I don't. I can't remember the end of, we're not in season seven yet, so, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking of Apollo in the original series and those kind of things, the Squire of Gothos and all that. Yes. I don't know. They come to mind. I, I think I know too much about Star Trek. Uh, I'm, this isn't I'm deeply a, troubled by this. <laughs> this isn't a spoiler at all, but uh, the Squire of Gothos is kind of pulled into the Q continuum uh, in a book called Q oh. Squared, and it okay. is so good. Oh, it's really? a, It's fun. Yeah. I have, you know, they, they used to make Star Trek audiobooks that were three hours long, mm-hmm. and it it is read by Delancey. <gasps> And it is terrific three hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I have to look for it. All right. We'll get it to you. Maybe a good friend would send me the file somehow. Very possibly. I don't know how Very it possibly. can happen. Maybe a transporter it thing if they've got that fixed. just fun. Just okay. fun. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That I would love to hear. Written by Peter David. So. But yeah, okay. they used to do these audiobooks that were three hours long. And it would it was like an adaptation of a movie into, you know, from a novel to a movie. Right. Um. I liked, I really liked their productions and they're not like audio dramas. They're, mm-hmm. they're abridged audiobooks. but, um, 
I thought they were terrific. I really Which enjoyed them. entertaining and they were yeah, super like an episode of the show that you never got. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. I used to read those old one books um, way back because um, since I watched these as a kid, I, you know, me and all those people like you, I guess, we went through a big drought before the next generation was even attempted. I mean, there were 30 years or so. Yeah, it was a long time. Years. And um, it was just reruns. And so I'd watch those, not, you know, just when I came across them. But, but I would read some of those books. I mean, Alan Dean Foster did a good job. Barbara Hambly mm-hmm. wrote a few, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Lois McMaster Bougeau. Um, you know, so there's some science fiction authors getting their beginnings by writing those adaptations. So, but I do want to say, back to the episode, mm-hmm. if that's all right. Of course. Um mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten before they jump through the guardian. Kirk says to Uhura and Scotty, if we don't come back, find what seems like a good spot Mm. to jump through. Yeah. And you can at least live your life then. And, and my mom watched, watched that one with me and we both went, we don't remember that at all. She said, well, that would be terrible. And I was like, well, there's no food where you are. There's no enterprise. you got to <laughs> go somewhere. And I was thinking, what period of Earth's Ooh. history would you pick? You can't pick something like, I'll go see Jesus, because who knows where it sends you. It's just showing you all the history. Yeah. And the Guardian seemed, for something that is both and neither, man nor machine, um, it seemed pathetically eager to go, I'll, I'll show you anything. Send your friends back. <laughs> Would they like to see history? I could show stuff from the beginning of the galaxy. <laughs> Scientists are welcome at the end of the show. It's like, come on back, guys. I'm so lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think it would have cooperated. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we're, and, and you know, I should have given this more thought myself. I just wrote the question down. Um, but what period of history would you pick, do you think? That's a good question. <clears throat> that's a super good question because, you know, I have periods that I'm super interested in, but I know or would be dicey <laughs> to live in like, like medieval times. Right. Okay. You know, chances of getting diseases and, yeah. um, you know, it's like all that kinds now. Of stuff. Yeah. Well, true. But I think it was worse then. Um, but yeah, well, but I hear that. Yeah. Um, I if I like was living, go ahead. Yeah. You must Roman have many times. Ooh, nice. Uh huh. Um, even in, I I guess, hopefully not at the end when it's crumbling, but during the height, because Mm -hmm. even if you wound up somewhere in Europe or even Britain, the Romans were kind of this unifying force that, you know, you, you faced everything, Mm -hmm. but you face everything in a different way now. Um, and I think I would rather take my chances with one of those time periods and in one of those countries than here. Hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. left on the planet. Meaning right, here, right. meaning rocky planet, guardian starving <clears throat> to death, bleak mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Lots of styrofoam rocks everywhere. That'd be interesting, yeah. So you like the togas. Well, you know, <laughs> it's the right guy. If Carl Urban's here too, <laughs> toga's gonna do nothing but help. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so oh, for you, it. just you know, gun to your head. Oh Pick a man, time. gun to my head. I I think medieval. I mean, that okay. just seems like it'd be really interesting to live in that time. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, medieval. Lots Europe. of inventions. That would be a good time. You're right. That's right. It'd be fun. Yeah, gosh, that might be okay. That's that'd be my second. I'd go back and forth between that one. You could still wear a toga the, in the medieval times. Could Just you? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh uh, well, you know, you'd look odd, but hey. No, the guys all wore the short 
uh, yeah. tops, the tunics and the tights, uh-huh. though. Yeah, for sure. And the ladies got those really cool robes. Oh, yeah, medieval times. Yeah. Now, that's not what I'm basing my choice on, <laughs> the clothing. But those hats with the double horns sticking up, mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. Probably just in movie musicals. Right. Um <laughs> But that would be a good time too, because they're also uh, unified as a Christian mm-hmm. uh, community. However, yeah, well or poorly, yeah. that's being yeah. uh, exercised. So that would be good, actually, and also mm-hmm. a very curious, open, inventive mindset. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you know, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien—they loved all that medieval stuff. That was flawed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but close. Oh, maybe medieval times would be the way to go. Yeah, would be fun. I, I like the idea. Fascinating yeah. stuff to think about for sure. Okay. Yeah. What else? Um, I don't know. The zinc plated vacuum tubes were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Edith Keeler looks in the room and is going, Whoa, "What the heck?" Well, you know, yeah. kind of like a Frankenstein movie. Uh huh. Oh, that's yeah. too funny. That's too funny. Um. And I would go to those Clark Gable movies. I knew who he was. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and I love it. You know, I have a friend who talks about Earth the same way that you do. Would you like to meet him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. Yeah. They used yeah. all the little tropes and all the little hints where you're just like, just say his name. Just say it. <laughs> say it. I mean, you know what's going to happen anyway, but Uh, you're still caught up in the really good storytelling. And, and when she goes, Oh, I'll get you to a back room. No one will find you there. And I'm thinking, Oh, right. Because for all she knows, he's on the run from the cops mm. or a gangster or whatever. So she's getting him back. And that second later spot comes out and starts pouring coffee. Ah, I mean, it was really well done. Yeah. Those were very frustrating moments. They had to happen, (laughs) but you're just like, no, Uh turn your head. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and then when they get back, you know, the Guardian Forever says, uh, time has resumed its shape, meaning yeah. that there was a shape that it should be. Right? Oh, that's interesting. He's you know? all is as it was. Right, all is as it was. Oh, I like that. Time I like has that resumed a lot, its too, shape. You we know? shouldn't go back and just redo things. This is just how it happened, and we live with what yeah. the consequences are. Which is how I see that God sees, right? Right. It's like, this has happened. Right. I mean, it's happening and it has happened at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it that's has funny a shape. Yeah, it oh has gosh, a shape. Scott. Yeah. This episode is like, you're right. It's kind of like that God's eye point of view is, you know, everybody's scrambling around to get things the way they should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As they had happened, you know. Right. And as they are happening. Right. But we're outside of time, so we know what the future is. Right. Yeah. And they're inside time, and so they're scrambling because they don't know if they'll even see McCoy show up. If they miss the moment, they're stuck living back there. Mm-hmm. The ultimate bromance, lost in time together. <laughs> oh, lost I like to think time. of Scotty and Uhura picking a time to go back to. She is not going to enjoy most of the time periods they wind up in. <laughs> <laughs> with oh, her, so very with her true. navigator training and yeah. her communications officer stuff, and then oh, here mm-hmm. we go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Find her a good spot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I do want to mention this really quickly since we're talking about Ohura. I don't think we've had occasion to bring this up before, but maybe we have, and we mm-hmm. can all hear it twice. Which is that she got really sick of her role on the show. Yeah, just doing nothing but going. I can't get through, Captain. No one's answering. And she was going to quit. 
And she met Martin Luther King Jr. who was like, are you kidding? You have to keep doing this. It doesn't matter that you're not doing anything. It would be nice if you did more, but you are a role model for black people, black women, women, girls. Mm -hmm. Do you know how many people you're empowering by being here and being respected as a person? Yeah. And I was just like, that's fantastic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I can see both points of view. I can see her as an actress just going, I'm using my skills for nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, and now she's an icon. Yeah, for sure. And she was beautiful. Oh, I know. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and when she was given a line or two, she was smart and talented and all those things. So, yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic how she was portrayed. You know, uh, Whoopi Goldberg talks about her. There was a, 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 Shuttle astronaut. I'm afraid I can't remember her name, but Uhura was important to her. Oh, that's um, so cool. It's yeah, there's just so many um people. And and that's something about Star Trek in general, too. I mean, uh, it's fantastic, you know, what Nichelle Nichols uh had inspired and um uh-huh. and other ones too, you know, like uh Scotty. Um, you know, just the the way that people reacted to this show, I mean, it just meant so much to a lot of people. And I know it influenced me. You know, I, I you know, when I say, you know, this is my Mr. Rogers, I really do mean that. Um, I really do mean that this this show had a huge influence on me as a very young person. And I think it was a positive influence. And, um, you know, uh, whether it influenced, you know, the, the career choices I made, I'm not positive about that, but it sure made me feel good about them. You know, because my dad was an engineer, and that's kind of how things were going to go. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so right. It, I had that in my life, and I kind of knew what it was, and I kind of wanted to do that. So, um, but yeah, the uh, I, I just felt good about the world when you watch Star Trek. Well, that's true, and it was fun and exciting, and well, and it's funny you say that because I, of course, was I was an adult with children when. The next generation came out. Hmm. Super excited to see it and everything, but I had a different take on it than somebody who was like, you know, the age we were when we watched the original Star Trek. And so my friend Kim, who we mentioned, is hmm. huge Star Trek fan. Yeah. And she, I, as I've been watching the Next Generation, that was formational for her, mm-hmm. and it was formational in a way that we were talking in the book club about the show for some reason. And she was there and she was saying, okay, did anyone else find uh, Will Riker attractive? And everybody else was closer to my age and everybody went, no, no. And she goes, oh, and we were like, did you? Oh yeah. <laughs> and she, and I said, so then how did you feel about um, Wesley Crusher? And she's like, oh, it was so great to see him doing all that. And I was like, and she goes, but I understand most people didn't feel that way. I was like, oh no, I was so glad when he left the show. He was just obnoxious. And um, I understood the purpose of having him there, but I didn't care about that. I wasn't Mm -hmm. there to help young people be formed. I was there to see an exciting show. And what's come become very obvious as we've exchanged these very short texts where I'll say, we watch this and this and this, and we'll just go back and forth. And now it's interesting because she's a lawyer and very devout Catholic. And so she's applying all that thinking on a much deeper level than our family is. And we're going, what? No way, man, to some episode. But 
the person who was really formational for her was Beverly Crusher, the doctor. Oh, wow. Because mm-hmm. I'll say things and just go, oh, my gosh, could she be any more like this? And I like that character generally. But mm-hmm. none of them have perfectly written parts, you know, all the time. And she'll go, oh, no, I liked that because it showed these qualities. And so it became clear that she was modeling herself on a lot of that. Hmm. Just like the astronaut, you're talking about being influenced by Uhura. And I was like, I love that those shows have that really great effect. And I'm trying to think there must be a show like that for me, but I can't remember it. Hmm. I took more of my inspiration from books, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, Hmm. There's, I mean, I loved the Avengers with Diana Rigg, but I didn't go, I'm going to be that strong, independent woman. (laughs) I just enjoyed watching it. So I'll have to think about that one a little more. Yeah. I'd I'd love to hear if there, if you Mm -hmm. come up with one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's neat. I, but I would think if that was the case, it would come to mind very strongly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. Yeah. But I can think of books where I went, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I never thought about this before. And it became part of kind of what I took in and started modeling myself after. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Definitely watch you some original series. <laughs> yeah, please. Okay. So, really quick, because I know we're mm-hmm. running long and mm-hmm. running out of time. But other favorites from me. And these are not necessarily deep, but they're just so much fun. Some of them, The Trouble with Tribbles. Yeah, oh yeah. There's nothing to talk about, but so much fun. The Galileo 7, How yes. Mr. Spock Grapples with Leadership. I, I really, yeah, that, that one, I could have picked that one. That was, that's that, good. No, me too. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a fantastic one. Mm-hmm. Um, Devil in the Dark. And I hope everybody notices we know what these are by just name. Ha <laughs> 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 That yeah. one is great. We're... Yeah, where a yep. monster suddenly becomes, once you see what's going on clearly, com- something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, this one's just stupid, and I love it so much. A piece <laughs> of the action. Oh. Because <laughs> everybody was having too much fun. Yep, yep. And pick a Harry Mud one. Just pick one. Oh, yeah. We're done. <laughs> Harry Mud. <laughs> Harry Mud. Probably the robot one is my oh, favorite, but still. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. looking through the list here. Really good stuff. How about Spock's brain? <laughs> Spock's oh brain God. is the one that's so bad that it's good. Yeah. I was just going to say, do you mm-hmm. like that? No, okay. no. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Right. It is so bad it's good. Yeah. Um, one that, uh, you know, was a, a huge influence uh, on other things that you saw later, Arena. Remember oh, he yes. was fighting the Gorn. Um, that was very good. Yeah, good stuff. Also, a muck time. Yes, a muck time. Isn't yeah, that, that was where that big music, Spock the fighting I tell you, I've seen that used on The Simpsons a couple times, and it works every time. Everybody knows it. <laughs> oh, too funny, too funny. Obsession is a good one. Um, Which that's one? Kind no, of I a, don't know. It's what? like a, um, it's almost like a, a Moby Dick kind of. Um, Kirk is obsessed with um, trying to... Um, it's something that had happened in his past. He's trying to correct. Um, so I'm looking at the synopsis here. Uh, let's see. Blood. So there's a killer, a gaseous entity that Kirk had encountered oh, on the USS okay. Farragut. Yes, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, you betcha. <laughs> I absolutely know what's going on there. <laughs> 
Yes, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, for sure. Lots of we... lots of fun. Yep. Yeah. Really great. So cool. But anyway, thanks for watching some Star Trek. That was fun. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you <laughs> wanted to do this. We definitely next year need to do. I would love to do a TNG. Um, if you're done at that time, yes. we can pick a few of those. We're watching one episode that. a week, so let me. It depends on it's how far along we are. It's such a cool way to are. do that. I should just do that too. Just yeah, it's one a week, um, Thursday yeah, nights or whatever. <laughs> one night a week, we watch mm-hmm. one of those, and then we watch a half-hour sitcom for my poor mother. Who, mm-hmm. well, although she she watched all the all the TNGs, but you know, at eighty-seven, she's less tolerant of some of the plots. Yeah. But um, and then we watch. It used to be Cheers. Now we're taking her through Parks and Rec, which I'm glad to say she's really enjoying. Very nice. And um, then she leaves because we watch something that we want to watch. Mm. So that's how we worked our way through Lupin and uh-huh. um, some other things where she just can't keep track of the plot as well. Yeah. Or just doesn't you – know, Jack uh, Ryan, the first season of that, where she just doesn't care about that kind of thing. So That sounds great. Yeah. That's how we get our TV time in. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, all right. So what's next up for us? Is what we're getting into is... the Christmas season. Oh, we are. And uh, we have a couple of short stories to read. <gasps> Yay. Yeah. The Star by Arthur C. Clarke. Uh-huh. And then Joyful and Triumphant, St. Zenobius and the Aliens by Joe Walton. Yes. And I need to, I don't know how best to do this for people who can't find it. I have a link to, it is published online, that mm. story. Because it's Great. hard to find unless you buy a short story collection of hers. And uh-huh. The Star, I think, is available in lots of places. Tons of places, you bet. I would think, because mm-hmm. that's a that's a seminal story. And so I felt these two stories would be good to look at and think about Christmas. Wonderful. Yeah. Looking so forward I'll to it. So I'll try to, should I just put a link to the St. Zenobius story just as a separate post? Yeah, let's do that. On let's, the blog. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And that way, and we can then later transfer it into when we do the podcast episode, and we'll just put it as one of the links for people who want the story. That's a great idea. Let's okay. do that. Okay, cool. All right. Remind Excellent. me if you don't see it show up. Okay, okay we'll do. All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. Yes. And uh, live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> Here's mud in your eye. <laughs> As uh, Shirley Scotty would say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>